So let's talk about lever number one. Lever number one is melatonin. So again, most people will know melatonin as a sleep aid, which I'm going to show you. It's not even really that. But what if I told you that melatonin is literally the most important hormone inside the body, that if melatonin is altered, someone is going to have some sort of disease process, autoimmune, cancer, neurodegenerative, the big three are intimately linked to melatonin levels. The reason why is now we understand that melatonin is the absolute key regulator of healing and removing damaged cells. Melatonin levels regulate autophagy and apoptosis. No one ever told me that. Everyone told me, give some people some melatonin and try to help them sleep. Nobody ever expressed the idea of melatonin to me about being in control of autophagy and apoptosis. That knocked me over when I first read that and sent me down a rabbit hole. Now, every single disease listed on here, I have and have found, and I have, and if you want it, let me know and I will give it to you. Research that will state melatonin or pineal gland, which is where melatonin comes from, being altered will be directly causative in these diseases. Not that it contributes, not that they find some sort of association, that it is directly causative in these different types of issues. So somebody asked me on the Facebook page before I did this talk, and I was asking, what do you want me to talk about? Somebody asked me about Parkinson's. Somebody also asked me about multiple sclerosis. Can't tell you how important this is for those two levels. They are massively important. There is a, an entire group of research out there that will refer to a multiple sclerosis as pineal gland failure, okay, as the causation of multiple sclerosis, right? And in Parkinson's, we're going to get into some new research about hormones that are made from the from the pineal gland itself that are directly related to dopamine receptors and the symptoms of rigidity and spasticity or tremoring that you'll typically see in Parkinson's. So traditionally, we know that melatonin typically will come from the pineal gland, right? But now a lot of the research is showing us that they're believing that a lot of melatonin is actually made inside of the mitochondria itself. So, but while all that is great, this is dependent on light. Melatonin at nighttime from the pineal gland is only created after four hours of complete darkness. Okay, so you need four hours of darkness before melatonin will start the autophagy and apoptosis connection that it will work through. That was the whole concept we came up with when they started talking about eight hours of sleep and we needed eight hours for regenerative capacity. That was assuming that that eight hours in control was precluded by four hours of darkness so that once we went to sleep, we would go right into those healing zones. So if somebody's sacrificing their sleep for success or their for work or they're working graveyards, look, there's a very real reason, and we're in Vegas, graveyards are common. Graveyard shifts have a 350% increased chance of having autoimmune diseases. They also have a significantly higher chances of getting cancers. There is a reason for this, and the alteration is here. Google melatonin and pick a cancer, any cancer you want, you will see that it is incredibly helpful. And at the advanced, I shared a, a research article that showed that melatonin levels were indicated in how resistant cancer was to treatment, whether that be natural treatment or medical treatment with chemotherapy and radiation. So if we look at a clock, right? If this is where sunset is, typically sunset's around seven o'clock, maybe it's around here now, depending upon you know, if they do this daylight savings nonsense. If it starts there and we go into darkness, that's the way the body's designed because that's going to kick us into melatonin creation somewhere in around 11 o'clock. Now, moonlight, 
firelight, those things, they don't count as light. I'm talking about artificial light that destroys it. Our bodies are designed for fire. They're designed for moonlight. That does not alter our melatonin production. So now if sunrise comes up at six o'clock, what we're getting is from the second we go to sleep, we're going to start making melatonin. The body's going to start that regenerative capacity. And we're going to get all of these eight hours of sleep to create regeneration and healing of, of autophagy and apoptosis. That's what we're looking for, for optimal. Now, if this is the patient, and I got to tell you, that was me for a very long time. I was public enemy number one of all of the things that I'm talking to you about. I, you know, again, I love research and I love tech and I love the fact that I could be on my phone and researching. And usually once my family and my kids went to sleep, that was my time to relax, which in my world of relaxation is reading scientific research. I know, I know, but I would be sitting up and it was typically done on like a laptop or on my cell phone. So I would be laying in bed, reading the last little bit of research article going, wow, that's fascinating. Shutting my phone off and laying down, going to sleep. Now, if you're doing that, now my last exposure to artificial light is here. That means melatonin won't kick in till 3 a.m. Now, if I'm waking up at six, now all of a sudden, I got a lot less hours of regenerative sleep. I slept that long time, but I'm getting a lot less regeneration in that same period of time as well. It's not the same thing. So when anyone says, what's the most important thing? Protect your sleep or you gotta get adequate sleep. That's why sleep is implicated in every single major disease process but they always leave out the caveat of it is with adequate light control. You need adequate light control in order to have regenerative sleep as you go through. Now, if you factor in that we have just this tiny little area of sleep, the average American sleeps six, seven hours a night. Well, if they go to sleep and they turn off their lights and it takes four hours and they're sleeping six hours. Now, instead of eight hours of regeneration, you got two you're literally getting 25% of the capacity of healing that we should be getting. And now obviously all of our energy is failing and all of these things are happening. We're not getting the sufficient autophagy and apoptosis. And now we're looking at, well, geez, autoimmune is 10 times the problem that it ever was and 10 times greater than all the different issues. And one in two people by 2030 will have cancers. I want, can't understand why this is happening. Really? Because science is there. It's pretty clear, actually, why it's happening. It's all of these ideologies. And the patients don't know this. And this is a relatively easy fix, but no one told them. It's our job to tell them. I didn't know it either. So if you didn't know it, don't feel bad. Now, this will probably blow your mind. There are other hormones that the pineal gland secretes. There is a hormone that's called 6-methoxyharmalin. That is the hormone that wakes us up in the morning. There's another hormone called valentinine which the researcher named Valentine because his daughter's name was Valentine. Can't mess with, with girl dads, man. We, we, we love our girls if we're going to name stuff after our girls and do everything like that. Name that after his daughter. That's the hormone that causes, that from secretion from the pineal gland causes someone to fall asleep. Melatonin's function is purely antioxidant and the strongest antioxidant we have in the body. It dwarfs what glutathione does. It is incredibly powerful at protecting the brain. So it is the main neuroprotective hormone that we have. And of course, it's in control of autophagy and apoptosis. Right now, we can't measure those two other hormones. Now, if you've never heard of those two other hormones, don't feel bad. I didn't. This research didn't even hit till 2015. I didn't even know about it till about 2020. This was one of my COVID projects. When I, was, when I was locked up in the house during COVID time, I was just playing around, looking around. This is what I found. So it's incredible that here we are all these years later looking at all these different types of things. And look this up. If you're dealing with Parkinson's or has a loved one or, or a patient dealing with Parkinson's, 
look up the research in the relationship to these guys to dopamine and what they mean to that and why the pineal gland, melatonin, and the sleep cycles are so massively important towards all of this. So question I get a lot of times is, well, does it mean I just take a lot of melatonin? I'm not a huge fan of doing that. I know, again, controversial statement, and, and but there's two sides of the fence, and some people are very heavy on taking tons of melatonin. I'm typically not on that side of it uh, for a couple of different reasons, and just real quickly what they are is, one, most of the melatonin studies are done on rats, okay? So problem with rats are, one, they're nocturnal, and we aren't. Now, it's probably why the reason 96% of animal models fail anyway is because they're done on rats, and they don't have the same light capacities that we do. But secondarily, rats don't make melatonin. So again, it's not really an apples to apple comparison between the two. There is research that shows if you take exogenous melatonin and you expose your eyes to light, that it will thin and damage your retina. Because when you go into the dark, your body will start to change your vision. You know, you go in a dark room, you can't really see anything. And all of a sudden you can start to make some stuff out. If you all of a sudden you shine a light into your eyes, you're like, whoa, that's really bright. If you take melatonin, your body immediately starts thinking it's dark. So it changes the way that light enters into your eye spectrum. So you have to be really careful with that. Plus it also then uncouples it from UV rates, which we're going to get into here in just a minute. So not a huge fan. I understand if there's a, you know extenuating circumstance that maybe you use it. Um, and there was a lot of research that it was very helpful with COVID. Um, I had patients like, well, I have COVID, but I don't really want to use the exogenous melatonin because I know it's going to throw off my rhythms and stuff like that. I'm like, well, get well from COVID first, then we'll worry about your circadian rhythms. But geez, bottom line, Without melatonin, regeneration stops and the cascade of disease will start to begin. Autism rates are going up. Part of the reasons is they always find moms of autistic children have very, very low melatonin rates. Okay, so if you have a, a, a woman who's looking to get pregnant or and they're asking you, hey, I get this a lot. What can I do in order to be go into this pregnancy as healthy as humanly possible? This is one of the places that I look. Okay. So now level two is leptin. Okay, leptin is a fascinating hormone that really is only ever talked about when it comes down to waking. And it's really has nothing to do with just waking. It plays a role in that, but it's so much more. Leptin is your electron accountant, right? It controls all energetic transactions. Its job is as a hormone to tell the brain energetically how much money your body has in order to spend on things. So they all work together, like we talked about. So your pineal gland is going to make melatonin at night. That melatonin is going to bind at your hypothalamus, which is where all of your temperature control is at. The purpose of this is to lower your body temperature. Because if you can lower your body temperature, that will shut your immune system off, which will then allow your body to say, okay, we can start repairing and doing things. Because if, you're, if the body temperature stays up, your immune system perceives that as a fever. And your immune system won't repair and do anything else. It'll think it has an active infection to fight. So clue number one, if you see somebody who's staying, they say, oh man, at nighttime, I'm burning up, sweating through the sheets and all those things, there's a really good chance that their melatonin levels are off because they're not lowering their body temperature. Then from there, your adipose tissue is going to start secreting leptin. Leptin is going to then go up and also bind at the same area of your hypothalamus so that it can start to become sensitized. And then your hypothalamus will understand, okay, this is where we are energetically in the body, right? This is how many electrons we have, we're where we need to be. Melatonin has to bind first, otherwise leptin cannot bind. Melatonin binds first, leptin binds second. The optimal time for this is between midnight and 2 a.m. 
So again, what does that mean? If the last time I looked at my cell phone or turned off my lights was at 11 p.m. and I'm not going to make melatonin until three, I'm going to miss this optimal window where it works. So now a couple of years ago, it was before COVID, so it must have been 20, 2019 at the advanced seminar, I, my entire hour-long talk was on leptin. And from there came the leptin protocols, which again, Carol teaches with my blessing and is always very gracious towards me of, of giving me credit for coming up with all that. But this is the science behind all of that. But it's important when you see it within all of the levers of how it works. Now, once this happens, melatonin is then going to signal to your pancreas to lower the insulin production so that you can keep your energy production and your sugar handling tight at this point. So this is obviously going to play a player in diabetes. It's going to signal over to your thyroid so it can upregulate its function and efficiency. So why are so many people having thyroid problems? Why is Hashimoto's the most common autoimmune disease? This is why. Because that thyroid problem is going to be caused by altered sleep cycle, circadian rhythm, light timing, all the energetic death stuff that we talked about. Melatonin and leptin have to bind first before your thyroid optimizes its function. Then it's going to signal over to your pituitary and it's going to tell it to secrete prolactin, growth hormone, and MSH in order to heal. Look at all the research. All the higher your growth hormone is, the faster you heal, the longer you're in longevity. Yeah, all of these things have to work. That's why. That's how growth hormone stays high. But no one talks about this because these are the high level things that create a body that's earned all of those different types of things. And then once all of that stuff has happened between 12 and 2, now your body is going to stimulate autophagy and it's going to start cleaning up and repairing everything underneath the surface. And the first part of your body that goes through autophagy is your actual immune system itself. Your immune system will actually self-heal and self-regulate itself almost like a nervous system. And then it will go on and clean up all the other cells everywhere else in your system. So leptin can be altered by a tremendous amount of different things. Obviously, your light cycles, eating too late at night, mold or fungal overgrowths, biotoxin levels, it's often Lyme disease, L-form infections. Um, hopefully, you're familiar with cell wall deficiencies and, uh, and infections and things like that. High levels of inflammation. There are some people who have genetic predispositions towards some of the stuff happening. Alcohol plays a major role in it as well, too. So there's a lot of different reasons as to why leptin levels can be altered but leptin is your body's energy accountant. And if it's not right, you can have the right amount of energy in your system. You could have a million dollars in a bank account, but if it's frozen and you can't get access to it, it's useless to you. And that could be happening to your patients as well. So that being said, moving on to lever number three here, which is MSH, melanocyte stimulating hormone. And this is the one I was talking about before saying that most docs don't even know the role that it plays in disease. Actually, I just have uh, the, the gentleman who broke my office record for the most autoimmune diseases in one patient. He had 17 positive antibodies. Out of 24 we ran, he had 17 positive antibodies. And ironically, he came to me saying, doc, I don't have autoimmune disease. They checked me for that. I don't have any of that sorts of stuff. And he had 17 of them, but he did not have lupus, ANA positive or rheumatoid, which were the two autoimmunes they checked him for when they told him he didn't have autoimmune disease. Uh, so we, his MSH levels were catastrophically low. And as we moved them up, he's just been better and better and feeling better, feeling better. And now he's going to all these doctors and asking them like, hey, what do you know about MSH? What about the role in this? Like, I'm, my levels are going up, feeling so much better. And all the doctors are like, I have no idea how this can play a role in anything. And he comes back to me every time more and more angry. He's like, man, how do they not know all this sorts of stuff? I don't know, man, I'm doing my best. I'm teaching a two-hour webinar to try to go over all this stuff. And believe me, if you guys don't know about this or haven't heard really don't feel bad. I didn't either. No one told me. And I spent a lot of money and a lot of time going to seminars to learn all this sorts of stuff. 
And no one told me, and I had to dig most of this information out for myself, which is why I'm so happy to be able to impart any of this knowledge that I have over freely to you guys. So MSH does a tremendous amount of things. It's majorly anti-inflammatory. It helps build tolerance to our own protein. So it's a major player in autoimmune disease. It supports our cardiovascular system. It lowers our blood sugar. It stimulates all of our thyroid hormone production. MSH is involved directly in raising active T3 levels. And it's one of my big secrets where if a patient comes to me and their thyroid's already gone and they're like, can I do anything about this? Yeah, you absolutely can, but your MSH levels have to be perfect. It decreases heteroplasmy rates and it repairs damage to DNA, which means it protects you against autoimmune diseases and cancer. It's a big deal. Look at all the diseases that this is regulated in. All the autoimmunes, majorly often sleep apnea and uh, multiple sclerosis. Somebody asked me about fatigue and MS patients change their MSH levels and you'll change their life. In 60% of MS patients, MSH levels are completely undetectable. They're so low on lab work. Makes a huge difference for them if you can push that up. It can also go high in certain things. But when we talk about something like fatigue, which is a major finding, and you know, it's the number one searched health problem is chronic fatigue syndrome when you look at Google, this is the most important marker you will find in people who have chronic fatigue syndrome. If you gave me lab work for lots of different things, again, some labs look good and people feel terrible and some look, look terrible and they feel great. MSH, if you give me what their MSH levels are, I can tell you how good or bad the person feels. It's one that they can't fake. If it's below a certain point, they're going to feel bad. If it's above a certain point, they'll feel good. These leptin and MSH are, are intimately connected to each other as well. If somebody has leptin resistance, they will not have normal MSH levels and vice versa. But at the end of the day, Leptin and MSH are major findings in biotoxic illnesses, mold, Lyme. They are the most important markers for those two types of patients as well. So now moving on to vitamin D. And, uh, you know, as a conference, a lot of people are like, take vitamin D, fake vitamin D, fake vitamin D. Remember, taking vitamin D as an exogenous thing in a, in a pill or a liquid form is not the same as getting adequate exposure to sunlight. For me, vitamin D is a marker of how much energy are you able to extract from the sun? And if your vitamin D is low, that means not a heck of a lot, and your body is going to be completely mistimed. I made the comment earlier that now we're finding out that a lot of melatonin is secreted from the mitochondria. Yeah, and that happens during the day as long as there's enough UV light, and UV light is the type of light that stimulates vitamin D production, as long as there's enough UV light in order for your mitochondria to be able to do it. So if somebody has low vitamin D, they're not going to be able to do that or, or create that function taking vitamin D in a pill form does not stimulate that function for them. There's still benefit towards it, but it does not do the same. Like one of my favorite researchers says, you can't pay somebody to do push-ups for you. Yeah, it looks like they got done on paper and you may get some benefit out of that, but you don't get the same benefit and the strength and the muscle definition and all the things that come along with doing the push-ups yourself. So the sun will commit this UVB light that'll hit your access to your skin. That'll go with cholesterol and it will create vitamin D inside of the body. So Part of the reason that I put this on here is that vitamin D is a major relationship, global effector to everything within health. And blue light is one of those major things that destroys vitamin D levels as well. So if anybody, I haven't been able to figure out a frequency set that will counter blue light toxicity. We have the ones for EMF and radiation. They work beautifully, but I haven't been able to figure out any ones that work with, with uh, blue light toxicity. So if anybody has any insights in that, I would love to mastermind on those ideas um, because I have some ideas myself and I've tested some of them, but I would love any insight from the community. If anybody has that, I obviously open a talk and shop. 
So vitamin D by itself gained from sun will regulate 3% of the entire human genome all by itself. That's what we call a global effector. So if vitamin D is low, we know we're going to have ourselves a problem with lots of things, but we know melatonin levels are not going to be charged because it requires UVB light. Leptin is not going to be able to be sensitive because it requires UVC light. And MSH requires proper leptin and UV light in order for it to be stimulated. So this part of the reason why MS doesn't exist above a certain longitude and latitude, doesn't exist in the tropics because the amount of UV light exposure that they get, it would be virtually impossible for them to get a disease like MS. So it has really less to do with the foods that we eat versus the environmental exposures that we get when it comes out to MS. And, and of all the autoimmunes I deal with, MS is my absolute favorite to deal with because they get by far and away the best results. They are the most fun to work with. Um, we had an MS patient who had a 12 millimeter lesion on her brainstem, huge lesion causing problems that the doctors told her were gonna, was going to be fatal because it was so big on her brainstem, like one day you're just going to stop breathing. Uh, that was 12 years ago. It took us nine months of working. Nine months later, that lesion on MRI was completely gone. 12 years later, she just got her latest set of MRIs and it is still completely gone and she is still completely symptom free. So good news, lots to be done with these problems, but I would have never been able to done did that for her if I didn't know all of these different levers to work with. So vitamin D and leptin is really interestingly linked together. They've done research studies where they are absolutely inversely and directly related, where if vitamin D goes up 27%, leptin levels drop and get more sensitive by 27%, which is a good thing. So if someone's vitamin D levels are low, that leptin is going to get stuck in their fat tissue and it's going to cause them to cause obesity. So getting adequate sunlight and sun exposure and, and solving energetic debt is also very helpful when it comes down to the ideologies of weight loss as well. So and, and blue light toxicity has a tremendous amount of research in causation for all kinds of different types of problems, but obesity is absolutely one of them as well, too. So get your son. If you need it, look up, there's an app that's called the D-Minder app, and it depends where you are. You put in your longitude and latitude, you put in your zip code of where you live, and it'll tell you the optimal times to be outside each day, how much sunlight you need to get in order to get the adequate levels of vitamin D. And even for people who just get vitamin D on their arms, their forearms, and on their face and in their eyes, which means no sunglasses, uh, no, no regular glasses, no, you know, eyeglasses and no contacts because you want that light to enter into your eyes and not be reflected off by the glass of the contact, their levels of vitamin D will be significantly higher. And again, vitamin D is one of those things you can Google it with any disease and find out the higher levels your vitamin D are, the less all-cause mortality you have, by the way, including skin cancer. Okay. The higher levels of vitamin D, more sun exposure is actually helpful and more protective when it comes to skin cancer. You just have to use it responsibly. Okay, so not to take too much time on that. I want to keep moving here. So UB rates, and, and UB rates, UB stands for ubiquitin protease system. Okay, that's what UB rate stands for. And ubiquitin is, is the way that your body tags proteins for autophagy and apoptosis in cell structures right? So your body is going to spend a tremendous amount of energy dealing with protein. 50% of the energy created by your body, by the overhead of your system is going to be spent on protein control. Okay. So if UB rates get altered, if they get up, they're going to overly target cells. That's called autoimmune disease. If they get downregulated, it's unhealthy cells are going to get missed. 
and we're going to start having problems, right? So if it gets overregulated, we're going to start mistaking the right proteins or the wrong proteins. We're going to get autoimmune. If it starts to go underactive and it causes a proliferation of cells, that's cancer. If it starts to cause the proteins to fold abnormally, now we're into neurodegeneration. Now, again, UB rates is not something we can measure on blood work. We have to be able to look at the other levers and say, is this working efficiently? Because if those other four levers are not, this is not either. And that's when we're going to get into all of these abnormal protein folding. So it's just something as doctors we have to conceptually know and be able to affect without absolutely being able to measure. Hopefully, at some point, they will be able to measure this. Now, all proteins need three completely basic ingredients. They need electrons, oxygen, and ATP. That's what they need in order to fold correctly. Because without it, you're going to have excessive protein misfolding. And diseases like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, you name a neurological one, their hallmark is they are protein misfolding disorders. That is controlled by the five Archimedes levers, including UB rates. Okay. If they can't unfold and refold and they get stuck, so meaning it's supposed to fold this way. If it can't fold this way and it misfolds and it folds this way, if the system has enough energy in it, it will unfold it and say, that's not right. We'll fold it back the way it's supposed to. An energy deficient system, if it folds this way and there's not enough energy, that's what you're stuck with. That creates chaos in the immune system because the immune system is going to look at that and say, that's not right. That's not us. We have to damage and kill that off. And then again, you can see something like an autoimmune disease show up. UB rates completely dependent on melatonin, leptin, MSH, and vitamin D levels specifically when it comes to UB rates determine how well your body figures out what's good cells and what's bad cells. Okay. There's other strategies, a little bit more advanced strategies of how to increase UB rates or regulate UB rates with inside of the human body. Again, obviously not, not, the, not the place or time to kind of go over all that sort of stuff, but that gets into a little bit more advanced tactical sides. But just looking at those five levers are paramount to make sure that your body has the capability to do all of these different types of things. Because this becomes the place where you get stuck, right? This becomes the place where you get stuck and your body can't move past it, right? Everything could be right. Everything could be right. And if someone is just not controlling their light source at night, they'll get sick. They could have plenty of energy in their system. They could have everything else that they want. But if they don't control light at night and they don't go into proper autophagy and apoptosis and things are just mistimed, it's not going to work. So these points are major levers where it can sometimes be that simple. Now, most of the time, by the time people get to us, you know, they have a whole series of different things. This has been going on for decades and they've got all these different problems and binders and binders of lab work. But we have to look and really remove these major places where they're going to get stuck. Because if we don't have that stuff in place, they're not going to be able to get well and move forward. Now, a lot of the times, like I said, using exogenous melatonin creates some problems. So we didn't have a way of doing that. Can we use microcurrent to stimulate some of those areas? We can, in my experience, based off of testing pre and post. So that's why I'm saying microcurrent allows us to not only just charge at the tissue that we want to work, but if we have installed an underlying philosophy of what we're trying to accomplish, it allows us not only to work on the individual tissues and give those TLC, but then it also allows us to work globally in the big picture of restoring balance to the entire system and things that we were indirectly able to do before 
where we were trying to target stuff indirectly with whether it was food sources or, or whatever else it may be, right? So th that's a really important ideology. So, you know, for me, I always talk about this concept of KISS, keep it simple, stupid, right? You know, I remember always saying, people saying, keep it simple, stupid. And really what I find it more for is, is keep it simple, smart people. Because the more I get around doctors, and especially the more I hang, you know, when you, when you start doing all this level stuff, you start getting around higher level practitioners. Obviously, FSM would certainly count as that. And, you know, the, the, the conversations are just very different. You know, I go to a lot of conferences and the conversations I have at some versus like the ones I have at FSM are, are really, really different. And what we're talking about it is the tendency is to get overwhelmed because we're overthinking a lot of this sorts of stuff. Microcurrents' greatest benefit is also one of its biggest difficulties because, like I said, we have 999 channels on A and 999 channels on B. And when you put those together, we have over a million different frequency combinations that we could try to get at. And it becomes mind-numbing and a little bit overwhelming when we're saying, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I, mean, I just had to find that right frequency. I got to write that front. You know, it's not working. If I find the right frequency, it'll work. And part of that is the idea, but to take you out of that and the stress of it and, the, and, and start doing it based off of strategy, not skill, is if you look at these higher level places, if you start knocking some of these dominoes into place, man, the whole world opens up for these patients and they just start feeling better and they start healing. And if you can institute that for long term, you know, I, I can help rebuild tissue in an organ and I can get, you know, things changed and I can get toxicity out and infection out and, and treat the basics and do all those different types of things. But that doesn't mean that that system is not going to, is going to self-regulate itself. It doesn't mean that that abnormal cell structure that's built up in the thyroid is, is going to just not keep doing that. Even if I can get that to change, if the reason why it happened to begin with is still there, I can change the tissue for now, but it's not going to change it somewhere down the road. That's what the big picture ideology was, was all about of trying to use. That's why I was so excited for microcurrents. I'm like, I could target all these things because it changed the way that I ever read research. Because when before when I was reading research, I was looking at it and I'm like, well, I can't do anything about that. That's not actionable. That's not actionable. That's not actionable. Now I'm looking through and I'm looking for hot topics. I'm looking for words. Oh, I have a frequency for that. Oh, I have a free, I can affect that. I can hit that area. I can do this. I can do that. That's where the strategy got built around where it was all of a sudden now I got into the game because I could start targeting some of these areas and it changed completely the way that I read research. So when we're talking about trying to keep it very simple, maybe simple is not the right word, but it's very targeted, very planned out, very strategic and targeted of where you're trying to go. And I saw, I'm sorry, I saw one of the questions on here was, what is MSH? MSH stands for melanocyte stimulating hormone. Okay, it's a hormone that's made typically by the pituitary gland, anterior pituitary glands uh, stored in the pars intermedia. So it's another major treatment place for microcurrent, uh, but majorly important. Again, typically done. Most people talk about melanocyte stimulating hormone when they talk about what? Your ability to tan. Right. So sunlight on the arms, your ability to tan, you know, in order to be able to, to get a tan from the sunlight. But it does taking that sunlight and turning it into a hormone that does so many other things to protect, heal, give our body energy, protect our vascular system. Really low levels of MSH have been indicated in stroke and hemorrhage and all kinds of really, really bad dysfunctions. So uh, just wanted to throw that next. I saw that come up on, on the chat. And if you guys can, if you have questions, we'll, we'll hang out as long as, as we can here and answer some questions just so we get some ideas. But so we want to talk about the, the, the strategy of where we're trying to go of just trying to keep it simple. This is why, and I don't like this, and it's been one of my goals to try to change. Some of the best doctors that I know have underperforming practices because 
they do get these great results and they do know so much and they are so trepidatious and they are so careful about the results and meticulous about all the details that they can only end up with a certain amount of capacities of how many people they can work with. Where for me, I wanted to try to make as big of an impact for as many people as I possibly could. So it always came down to is how could I use all of these tools like microcurrent to do that? Because I couldn't do it one-on-one working with somebody, you know, in there with my hands, even though it got great results, it, it wasn't fitting the vision that I had ultimately when I came out of school saying, well, I got to help my mom, but I got to help everybody else's mom. You know, there, there's going to be other patients out there that are going to need my help. How can I make as big of an impact as I possibly can? Because I came out of school very passionate about healthcare, and my goal was I wanted to get people better and I wanted to change healthcare. Like I really wanted to make a dent into the healthcare system and, and move that needle a little bit to just say, hey, look, these are the type of results we can get. This is what we're ultimately trying to do. And originally, like I talked about at the seminar, I did it that built off of my skill, right? All the seminars I went to, all the techniques I learned, it got so bad. I learned so many techniques and hands-on techniques and muscle testing and things like that, that I actually had to make a list and a menu of all the different techniques I knew. So I could try to remember which ones to do on people because I would, I would forget I, a patient would come in and they would leave and I would do all this treatment. I'm like, oh man, I, I should have done this with them. That would have probably really helped. But I had so many tools in the toolbox that it was almost overwhelmingly difficult for me to try to manage one patient because I just had so much I could throw with them because I was just throwing whatever would stick. But I didn't have a strategy going into the moment of, hey, look, this is what I need to accomplish with this patient this time. Right. We and we weren't on the same page. They, they didn't know what I was doing. They just knew I was doing some crazy stuff and and getting results. And that was getting people. But they couldn't really refer to me because they didn't really know what the heck I was doing when it came down to all those different types of things. So if we can keep our focus on four pillars of sustained health, right, we want high redox, a lot of energy, low heteroplasmy, low mutation rates, efficient apoptosis and autophagy, your immune system's ability to clean up your cell structures get in enough energy into their system using the six different sources of energy like we talked about. And there's technology for all of that and simple, easy technology, right? This is not mind bending stuff. Five Archimedes levers, you know, hopefully uh, that was a little bit eye opening of how much those things do just inside of your body on a day to day basis. And now we can affect all those guys. And then what we didn't have time, obviously, to talk about today, get get more into strategics and and tactics about that, is the five major roadblocks that somebody will hit where if they have these five, one of these five issues, they're not going to be able to install healing, right? They're, they're, They're going to be resistant to healing and those have to be undone so that the person can actually move forward before they can actually fix themselves and start healing. So for me, it becomes very simple, even though people are like, well, how do you deal with these really complicated cases? They have all these different things. They have all these moving parts. This guy's got 17 autoimmune diseases. It's pretty simple. I deal with what's on the slide, one piece at a time based off of the strategy, but I can't do that if I don't have a core philosophy that I'm working off of. Now, I'm not saying you have to work off of mine, but I'm saying to start getting you thinking about the idea of what is that conversation that you're having with the person? Because that's how you get on the how you get on the same page. What's the strategy? What are you trying to accomplish? Otherwise, you're stuck in the game of n- not just trading time for money, but but you're basically trying to prove them a result. With with enough time and enough ideology behind it, you're going to get results with microcurrent in, in the vast, vast, vast majority of these cases. But we need a way of explaining that to a person in a communication style that will actually be able to move them into those ideas because then it buys us time to be able to work with them versus I got to run right to the problem because I have to get them a result this visit. And again, when you're working with organ stuff, that doesn't always happen. 
but I got to get them a result right in this business. Otherwise, you know, this visit, otherwise they're going to say, oh, this didn't work for me. You have to start setting up like, look, these are long-term problems that need complicated solutions. Complicated problems typically don't have simple solutions. Every once in a while we get lucky, but for the most part, they need more solutions. Now, the solutions can be very complicated when you get into functional medicine, or we can simplify them, just get to move the big stuff, but those levers have to be moved with technology. So in my world, it came down to three basic parts. We needed philosophy, we needed systems, and we needed technology to allow us to be able to do that. And they all seemed like very different things, but they really weren't. The problem, like I said, with functional medicine is that it was an incomplete model. Everyone was massively different. So every consult I went into, I had to talk a person through a different disease. I had to try to figure out the disease individually. It led to really long consults. It led to patients being confused and it led to complexity for the doctor. So it came out of me one day when I basically blurted out this concept of energetic debt when I was with the patient. I was like, man, I better write that down. It was how do I take this really complicated science and make it very simple in an analogy form that I could explain to them? And that's what you have to figure out how to do. You know, whatever that looks like for you in your practice, that's where a lot of your attention has to go is how can I take a complicated philosophy and a complicated technology and, and you know, maybe something that's a little bit difficult and explain it in a simplistic way, in a strategic way of, hey, look, this is what we're trying to accomplish, right? So for me, that was energetic debt. You've got to figure out what that is for you in a big picture. You need systems built around all of those things as well, too. The problem is the more I put it, the more I learned, the more I studied, the more skills I acquired, the more it made my practice incredibly chaotic, right? Because now all of a sudden I had people everywhere. I had staff members burning out because I was burning out because I was running. I was like, oh, you put this person on this and put this one on that. We're going to run this. We're going to run that. Nothing was systemized because I didn't have a specific treatment process that I was working them through. I was just doing what they needed in the moment. And it was great. And patients were getting great results. But my practice was suffering and my staff, I was going through staff members like water because I was burning them out because every day was so stressful in the office versus where I had a very simple strategy and system that they could follow off of. So it took all of that pain of learning all of this and then trying to figure out, okay, how do we have all this science? How do we apply this to install and deploy systems? So this is where, you know, now your thinking has to go with all of this science stuff. You have the skills. How do you do this in a model that'll make it work? So it's not all based upon you and it's not based on struggling. I will tell you, the saddest thing for me was I referred a truckload of doctors to microcurrent. I mean, I was, you know, Carol always jokes around and tells the story the first time uh, I, all these doctors, I had been to seminars and we had met and we had spoken a few times, but uh all these doctors were showing up at microcurrent and she said, well, how did you get here? And this, oh, you know, Rob Martino told me that I had to come. And she said, oh, what did he say they recommend? He said, I don't know. He said, I had to do this. She's like, who should remember telling? She's like, who is this guy who's telling all these people they just have to do this? And they just do this kind of without questioning because they saw the results I was getting. And, and I was telling them, you know, hey, this, this is how we were traditionally doing it. And when I would invariably check in with those doctors, they would tell me like, oh my God, this seminar was amazing and the technology is so cool and I can't believe the results. And, you know, I thought it was just going to be a seminar talking about just machines and stuff like that, but all of the clinical tidbits and, and you know, if you guys have been around Carol and, and, and Kim as well too, I mean, these guys are clinical rock stars. I mean, they have clinical clues for days and days and days and, and tactics and trips to, uh, tricks to do stuff. But the, invariably the conversation always ended with, but I have no idea how I'm going to do this in practice. Now, again, understand most of the time I was with Kairos who were seeing a lot of people in a day and moving through. They weren't working for an extended period of time one-on-one -on -one with individual patients. And if they were and they were doing muscle testing, again, 
they were stuck in this race of it was all their skill and they were stuck one-on-one with the patient. So I know for me, it was, I was in the same boat. And I was like, how do I do this to where I can do things and you can do things that can expand our, and it's all done with this ideology. We just want to help as many people as we can. Right. And how do we take such a powerful technology and use it in a way that that can be successful for as many people. So with systems, we can build communication systems, right? Now we can build communication systems in marketing. What makes you unique? What makes what you do different? Well, when I talk about energetic debt, and this is how I deal with it, energetic debt being the cause of disease, and we deal with it through technology and all these different types of things. I'm not competing in the functional medicine world with other doctors saying, well, you know, we're going to give you a different diet and we're going to, you know, our supplements are better than theirs. I do diet too. I do supplements too. There's nothing wrong with any of that sort of stuff. But when it kind of comes down to it, what's that edge? What makes it different? And why do I get some of the results that other people don't necessarily get is because I can communicate that strategy to them as well too. Then when I'm sitting in a, in a, a day one in, in a consult, my consults end with, God, doc, that makes so much sense. Why hasn't anybody explained it to this point? Yeah, I'm with you. That's where it should end because we're on the same page. Not like, yeah, okay. I mean, I mean, even when I did Cairo days and I would explain subluxations to people, they would be like, yeah, okay. Like they didn't really understand that as a bigger picture concept if I took enough time that they did. But energetic debt makes sense and it's how they feel. Then we could take that system and then you can build diagnostics into that. So how do I get some of the data of some of the, all the things that I'm talking about I'm looking very simple diagnostics, but you got to be looking in the right places. Unfortunately, as of right now, there's no lab work that you can do that says, oh, you know, the amount of energy you're making is X and the amount of, of energy you're spending is Y and you have this much left over. You don't have that. So you have to be able to read between the lines of where are these high leverage points and what does it mean? And then from there, you can build that off of treatment algorithms as well, too. So what are the diagnostic algorithms? What are the treatment? What do I have to treat first? What do I have to treat second? What do I have to treat third? What can I move on? These are the big questions and that's what you have, but you can't do any of that without a good core philosophy in the inside. So I really encourage you guys to think about that as a concept off of the bigger picture science is like what we're talking about. And then technology allows you to get away from majoring in the minors, right? It gets you away from doing the 80% to get you 20% and switches you over. So we're going to use really simple technologies to create massive leverage. Microcurrents, obviously a major, major, major component of that because it is the one that we can obviously make so specific towards the individual person and what they're having wrong. But believe you me, if you're burning out in practice, if your practice is based off of ego like mine was, and I screwed that up and that was 100% my fault where, and I don't mean by ego in a bad way, I just meant it was based off of me. It was based off of my skill and what I could bring to the table and my time, and which was then, oh, I was limited to how many people I could treat and help. If you can flip these triangles, because that's a lot of input or a little bit of output. And believe me, if your patients feel that way, if they feel like they're taking 200 supplements a day and making unrealistic dietary changes, they won't stay for that output. They just they just won't. It, it's too difficult. And I'll give you the example. Right now, with medical loan companies, companies that loan money to patients to get healthcare, the number one default patient is from functional medicine, which means we're not getting them the outcomes that they want. That's the painful reality. I don't like it. I know functional medicine gets great results. I know all natural medicine gets great results. And we all have miracle case stories that we have. But that's, those stats are what they are and they are telling. We need to make sure that the input that we're putting in and the input that the patient is putting in gets them the most maximum output. That's how you get the best results. 
but that's also where you buy practice freedom. You need to tie these three things together as systems. Okay. You know, I have to put some of these talks in here too, because I'm passionate about building this up to where we get microcurrent in the hands of more doctors. We get microcurrents in, in, you know, applied to more patients. Uh, you know, Carol's always been incredibly gracious towards me because, you know, I'm very careful about, you know, stepping on her toes. And she's let me share a lot of concepts with microcurrent with my doctors and, and other doctors as well. Uh, you know, from stages and, and and things like that. And it's still weird to me that I get all this attention and people want me to talk at all these events because despite having a lot to say, I am an introvert by nature and I just kind of want to help who I help and go home. But I, I do feel compelled to do this. And like I said, Carol's always been really gracious with me to be able to, to share all of those things. And I want to, you know, return the favor in any which way that I can is I want to help more doctors and I want to help more patients be able to get, get access to all of this. That was the whole reason for me to do this. So so okay with you. this might not be right for everybody the way that I do it. And nobody on this earth gets to tell you how to have your dream practice, right? In including me. So this might not be right for everybody, but it might be perfect for some of you. And that's okay. So if you want to gain leverage and help with uh, get great patient results and practice results and get it off of you, if you need help with any of the strategic stuff around there, we're going to do the science stuff next year in more in more depth. Obviously, tactics, when we teach this, this is a six-hour course. We have an additional 12 hours that we teach, which is tactics. It is hardcore boot camping of this is how you test it. This is how you figure out what you need to run. This is what you run. This is how you fix the problems, right? We have that. That's dialed out. That is what it is. But that's a 12-hour tactical course. That's different. The science, art, and philosophy is all in the six hours that we will typically do next year. But if you want help with that beforehand, again, my purpose is to try to help you guys where this goes. So, Sydney, if you want to, again, if it's up, again, just let me know if it's okay, but I'm just going to invite you guys. If you want, you can book a call with me and I will talk you through this. Okay. You could talk to my staff if you want to, and I will talk you through this of how to implement some of these ideas, whether you need help with philosophy, whether you need help with systems, whether you need help with tech, whether you want to bundle it all together, whatever is the right fit for you. If I can help you with that, I will do it, or my staff will be able to do it if you need help with some of the tactical things, because they're probably better off to do that. So if that's something you want to do, obviously, I'm going to have a certain amount of these. I'm in practice. I'm still teaching. I got my own consulting thing and everything else like that. So um, all I ask is if you want to get on our schedule, just go to this URL. And there's nothing you can click. So you're going to have to write it down. It's beyondfunctionalmedicine.com backslash call. And it'll take you to a calendar and find time and click on there. So you can go ahead and get a spot observed with us so we can do it. So I'm going to open up a certain amount of time on my schedule stuff because again, like some of my kids are still at, at martial arts for another little bit. So, but I get it. We're trying to make as much time as we can really want to help. I, I was very flattered with how complimentary you guys were at the seminar and even in some of the chat stuff I've already seen. Thank you for the kind words. I mean, I really, really appreciate all that, but if that's something you want help with, Get on the spot. I don't mind. You're not taking my time. If it's the right fit, great. If it's not the right fit, I will help you in any which way that I possibly can. And maybe we can get you on, you know, some of these problems solved for you. I tried to solve a lot of them at the seminar, but this will just give us a little bit more time. So that being said, go to the spot, call. We're going to jump into Q&A right now. I'm going to go back over and leave this up just in case anybody wants it. But if you got other questions, hit them into the chat. But I see there's a bunch of questions in here right now. So let me kind of jump in and let me see. Okay. So Jumping shots, active patients with vertigo, having migraines, headaches, toxic brains, dizziness, slows down, left, starting FSM. Other more specifics. 
Okay, so question is 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 based around headache, based around vertigo, and that her her right. So when it comes down to dizziness, any kind of dizziness, vertigo, imbalance, or any of these things, there's basically four major players that you have to look at when it comes down to dizziness. Okay, so number one is Vegas. Okay, so because so much of vertigo or any kind of dizziness is going to be based on cranial nerve activity. Vagus is foundation for cranial nerves. So if vagus isn't working, a lot of your other cranial nerve functions won't work as well too. So make sure you look at vagus. Carol will love that because she loves vagus and her treatments and stuff like that. And I have a background in quantum neurology and vagus nerve is just as big in quantum neurology as, as Carol has it being an FSM. So they're right. So look at vagus. But then the other big things are, so you've got to look at branches of cranial nerves to ears and that's positionally as well. Right. So it's not just sound snapping and vibration, but also positionally. Um, it is also relative, a lot of it is really due to eye movement. So check to see, you know, have them follow your finger, have them follow through the six fields of gaze. Can they track you? Are their eyes jumping? You get nystagmus because all of that stuff will typically be involved. I would tell you probably the majority of cases of dizziness that I get, it's usually not ears because they'll go to an ENT first before they end up here. And I think it's more neurological, but then the reality of it is, is, is most of the time it's their cranial nerves, their eyes aren't built, don't have the ability to track where their vagus nerve is off. Uh, and then last but not least, it's proprioception. So it's proprioception in the neck. So check upper cervicals and also check uh, for sensation on the bottom of the feet, especially if the dizziness is when they're up and moving around, because sometimes they just can't tell where they are in spatial arrangement. But that might be helpful if you're looking at, at dizziness kind of conversations about where they are within that. So so the question, another question is, so do mitochondria depend upon excess electrons or do they generate electrons on their own? No, mitochondria is dependent upon electrons from the outside. They don't make electrons. They take that electron like gasoline and they use it as the fuel to propel it to be able to make ATP. So there has to be a lot of electrons coming into the system in order for mitochondria to take those electrons, combine it with oxygen to create ATP and then the byproduct of creating ATP is you will make carbon dioxide and exclusions on water, right? That is the byproduct, right? So if you're seeing in, in lab work, there's ways of looking at this, you're looking at carbon dioxide and things like that. And bun creatinine ratios are a good clue for that as well, too, is how efficiently are you taking electrons and then mitochondria-wise turning them into ATP, carbon dioxide, and exclusions on water. So you're not making electrons. Electrons are something that have to be gained into the body. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I appreciate that. They've got, you are so brilliantly ahead of the curve. Your patients who are lucky to have found you. God, you guys are so nice to me. I don't even know what to do with, with all with all this love. But damn, I, I do I do heavily appreciate it. appreciate the compliment. And and um it, it's just I love the science. You know, I I I can't help it. It's nothing more than that. It was like I said, I, I'm always amazed at uh, the if, if you didn't, again, if you were at the the symposium, hopefully you were, if not, watch the videos. I mean, some of those case studies were awesome. I mean, some of those case studies were, were just mind bending and I was so excited. I was talking to them about it and, and uh, I've gotten a few chance after the seminar to connect with a few people and talk about some of the case studies and even some of the docs who were just telling me about some of the results that they get. I mean, that stuff is incredible. And so the cl clinical skill in this group is hugely above average. Like, like, trust me, I'm allowed a lot of doctors. I've taught these concepts to thousands of doctors at this point, but the clinical skill is way, way, way above all that sorts of stuff. The level of where I'm at is literally just not even, not even studying science. It's different. Looking at things differently, looking at the science differently and imparting the strategy, the strategy behind the treatment studies. That's what it is. 
And that's why I'm so happy that I got a chance to share it with you guys. And that you guys wanted to know about it all too. So um, yeah, use this for MS. I, I promise you guys, I mean, use this for MS. I know I think somebody reached out and I want to say it was, it was a family member and I believe spouse, such hugely profound things that you can do for them with all of these treatment studies, but you got to get to those upper level, those Archimedes levers are paramount. And I will tell you, if you can work on the energy systems, if you can work on the Archimedes levers and you make sure that there's none of those, you know, the six sources, if you do the things on that one slide, the four pillars, the six sources, the Archimedes levers, and the five roadblocks aren't there, you're 80% of the way there. You're 80% of the way there. I spend a lot of time in my seminars teaching about the individual concepts of disease and, and that's that. I promise you that's the 20%. Okay, they have this disease, they have diabetes, you know, you know, they have PCOS, they have this, that. This is what we're going to tweak and we're going to make sure just to make sure that that works for them. If you do those foundational things, it will take you 80% of the way there and the person's going to get better. It's, it's, it's wild. And I know it's a crazy statement to stake. And even sometimes this day, I'm like, is that right? Trust me, I go through imposter syndrome weekly because I'm just so concerned that it is right. And everything is the best thing it could possibly be for my patients, your patients and anybody else. Trust me, when you start stepping into coaching and consulting, it's a different animal. You know, I've talked to Carol about this many times, a different animal to impart this information because now it's not just what's happening in your world, but you're all taking what I say as fact, and that means a lot to me. And I have to make sure that I show up with the best information around. So do blue light filtering glasses make a difference? They absolutely make a humongous difference. It's one of the easiest ways that you can hack this light ideology at night. I swear by my blue blocker glasses. I wear them every single night. In fact, uh, when I came down to microcurrent, I forgot them. Never do that. And of course, the one time I was coming down to a health seminar, I forgot my blue blocker glasses. Couldn't believe I did that. My wife called me just like your blue blockers are on the counter. I was like, I know my sleep was so screwed up. It is amazing how when I don't wear them now, and of course I experiment on myself. So there's nights when I'm at home and I don't wear them. I notice such a drastic difference because light into the eyes is such a major component of it. And again, there's some ideologies about getting fake light on skin. We have melanopsin receptors on our skin and stuff like that. Uh, but the vast majority of it is sensation through the eyes. So it's, it's also really important that at nighttime, you make sure that that room is dark. You know, no lights, you know, artificial lights, uh, street lights coming from outside. One, my, the house I lived in previously before this one uh, had a giant street light that was like coming right through my bedroom window. I actually had something custom made to block that light out of my bedroom window, a uh, thing to kind of cover the top portion because I knew it was screwing up my sleep. So um, be careful about night lights and things like that. There's some ways of dealing with it. Obviously, if you have children, there, there's ideology. But lights at night, blue blocking glasses can be a real game changer for most of your patients. So, um, okay, so just take a second to you what people want to show you. Yeah, so again, if you if you want help from me from a clinical standpoint, you can book a call. If you need help from me from a, from a, a, a clinical standpoint because you want help with patient you can do it on there as well too. Just just let us know in the comments, and, and we'll be able to kind of deal with that as well too. So here are the questions: How about Vitality Forty Nine at the mitochondria Five Forty Three? It is definitely an interesting concept, and I will tell you something happens with that. Um, it's hard to you know denote, and I know Carol even says that too. And I'm hoping maybe I can convince her to share those experimental microcurrent uh, frequencies that she has with me, so I can test them with some of the equipment that I have in my office. But um, there's definitely something that happens with that. Uh, you know, again, can you tell, can you know, how much can you figure with that? It's a little bit difficult because we don't have direct mitochondrial numbers, but I will tell you, if you run 49 and 543, there is something that positive that happens off of that. Um, 
So again, MSH, do you mean that gradually getting a suntan without redness is beneficial? Yeah. So basically the rule of thumb, everyone always asks me, how much time should I spend out in the sun? Basically it's, it's when you pink up, you know, cause everyone's going to need a little bit of different time around in the sun based off of a, where they are, right? Because the sun in Las Vegas is a heck of a lot of difference than the sun someplace up North, right? You can't be in the sun that much out here, but, and, and your Fitzgerald score, your Fitzgerald score is the darkness of your skin. Cause the darker your skin is the more sun exposure you will need to be able to get that to all to absorb. So basically the idea is you do it until you pink up. Once you get pink, once you, you know that moment, like when you're outside, you're like, okay, I'm kind of warm. I'm sweating now a little bit. And you realize that you're warm. That's kind of when you're done and you can go kind of go back inside and get out of this and, and, and absorb that. But remember all of these things, the more electrons in your systems, everything else like that determines how good your skin is at absorbing light. If your skin is energetically weak, then your system, your skin is going to act like blacktop, not a solar panel. If your system is energetically strong, your skin will absorb a ton of energy. That's why you see a lot of autoimmunes, especially like lupus and stuff like that. It's like, oh, doc, I can't be in the sun at all. I, I react really poorly to that. No, it's that your system is so energetically deficient. Your skin is so energetically weak itself. It acts like blacktop, so it burns. It doesn't absorb, right? If you've ever been in Las Vegas when it's 118 degrees outside, you can't step outside barefoot. That blacktop will take the skin right off your foot. But if you go outside, you know, like a solar panel, you can absorb all of that energy and use it. This is the rock and the hard place that they get into that technology allows us to solve is we're able to, they're, once they get so energy inefficient, then they, they, but they can't take any energy in, it overwhelms their system. We can turn those things with different technologies and making that be able to work. And you're welcome. Thank you very much. Do you use pH to determine body voltage? It, it is one way that you can do it. Yeah. So Tom, good question. So you can definitely use pH to determine body voltage. Um, Years ago, I took Jerry Tennant's work, which is fascinating work in and of itself. And I took Tennant's work and he had a, a scale that he was using basically for pH that was kind of roughly translated, but he was doing it through saliva. So we, we took the mathematical algorithm as, and I have a couple of friends of mine who are, are PhDs in mathematics, thankfully, that I went to undergrad with weirdly. And uh, I hit up their expertise and we've delved it down now to what body voltage, if you're looking at pH, what is that the closest one to one that we can get to what an overall cellular voltage is? Because we can't measure individual cells and say, well, they're negative 25 or they're plus 20 where they are, but we can get a big picture of what, what you call the zeta potential cellular voltage is in the blood system by looking at those. So yeah, you can absolutely do that. Um, and you know, Tom, we could talk more about that as, as time goes on and you guys are very welcome. Any insights on treating chronic pancreatitis other than directly treating the pancreas, not alcohol related? So hopefully I gave you the answer to this during the talk. And what is the thing that helps to heal and reset pancreas at nighttime is melatonin. Melatonin has a huge effect. Pancreas has a tremendous amount of melatonin receptors and itis meaning inflammation. So yeah, there's some treating ideas, but those five Archimedes levers, but specifically the melatonin component of that is going to be very important when it comes down to healing pancreas. It's also very important when it comes down to looking at something like a diabetes-related incidence. There's a, an interesting study that I could put up on the group, I guess. There's a, it showed that aggressive lowering of blood sugar actually has a very negative overall outcome. It causes a significant increase in all-cause mortality and a significant increase in cardiovascular mortality. Because think about it from the big picture of what we're talking about from an energetic dead model. We want to use oxygen. We're related because we can't use oxygen. The backup system is sugar. Now, if we come in, now again, that, that's a problem because we're not meant to be running off a backup system. But remember, the other option is zero ATP. 
So if we're getting not 38 from, from oxygen, but two from sugar, and now we try to drive the backup system low, we're looking at it in the wrong perspective. That's an effect, but that's a, a regulatory effect to say, hey, look, we're trying to make any energy we can make. So we're just going to use sugar because oxygen's out. Two is better than zero, but we can't get to the 38. That's why when you look at all of these really heavy duty blood sugar and lowering protocols, statistically, they're catastrophic to patient's health. Not helpful when it comes down to those. Uh, so what is my strategy for stiff person syndrome? So I don't know how this worked out. Stiff person syndrome is like what? One in million, one in 10 million diagnoses. I've seen two patients with stiff person syndrome. One of them was, uh, actually it wasn't, I don't think it was even stiff person syndrome. She had a cholesterol medication reaction. Once, once we got her detoxed, all the cholesterol medication, got her off of those cholesterol medication, all that stuff went away. But stiff person syndrome acts just like an autoimmune, right? And what did I tell you? What do proteins need? They need electrons, right? They need ATP and they need oxygen. So the, they, the stiff person syndrome fits perfectly into an energetic debt model because you just have to be able to re-energize the system, get those five levers in place and basically get enough energy into the system, save the cells you can, get rid of the ones you can't. You just treat it like an autoimmune and they, they react very linearly. The, the other ones that I saw resolved very, very easily in, in a very, very reasonable period of time. I think within six months, if it was even that long, it was a completely resolved issue. Does very, very well with treatment. Uh, so Meniere's disease, kind of the same ideology what we talked about with vertigo earlier. So look at those four major pillars, Vegas, uh, cranial nerve eight, uh, eye movements. So three, four, and six are major with that. And any of the proprioception, especially upper cervicals can be really, really important with that. Uh, is there a brand of blue blockers that I recommend? There's a bunch of different ones that are really good. I personally, I use uh, RA optics. So it's, it's, it's raw optics, raw, like the God of sun, very clever marketing, but it's raoptics.com. Uh, that's the blue blockers. They did a tremendous amount of research and you got to use the ones that have the orange tint. I know nobody likes the way that they look, but Robert Downey Jr. at least made them kind of popular when he was wearing them. During all the Marvel press, he was always wearing blue blockers because he's very careful about his circadian rhythms and stuff, especially dealing with all the addiction stuff that he dealt with in the past. That um, They actually work really, really well for that. You know, 81 and 543 for mitochondria. Uh, I found you got to be a little careful here. Uh, I haven't had this problem with 49, but 81 and 543 for mitochondria if the person can't handle it, they'll feel worse because you're stimulating the mitochondria can break, right? If they don't have enough voltage, if they don't, if they, if they're proteins, remember, think about what mitochondria are. Think of it like a car engine. They're giant rotary engines made of protein that spin ridiculously fast. Okay. 9,000 rotations, right? Per minute, ridiculously, ridiculously fast. So if you're looking at it from that perspective, if the proteins are electron weak, the proteins are going to get hard. And that means if something is going to spin really fast like that, but it's rigid and not flexible, it's going to break. So you got to be careful. And that's again, that's purely theory. And that's purely conjecture. But I will tell you, I've run 81 of 543 for an extended period of time on myself and all the people. And you got to be careful with it. Short period of time is fine. But the more compromised somebody is, you got to make sure that they can handle that advanced strategy for somebody who's healthy, trying to get a higher level. Sure. Up in the front, man, I don't know, maybe not, maybe not so much. Got to be just a little bit, a little bit careful with, with all of that sorts of stuff. So, um, so what, what do I use for um, different diagnostics? I have a whole bunch of different stuff. 
Um, like you saw, I have live blood, I have EAV, I have bioresonance, I have a couple of different bioresonance machines, I have heart rate variabilities, obviously, like I said, I have live blood. So I have, a, I have a bunch of different tech within the office. But when I talk about all the tech that I use, I know everyone kind of gets freaked out because I have all these different machines and everything else like that. When I tell you, it's technology's advanced so far now that none of these machines are hundreds of thousands of dollars anymore. It's just really not like that so much. All right, Kristen, I'll talk to you. I'll text you later. But it's really not that much money when you're looking at it for what perspective of it does. And the nicest thing about technology is too, is you know, from a business standpoint, is, is these things don't have repetitive cost. Yeah, it sucks to buy them the first time, but after that, they keep making you money. They keep making you money and they keep making you money and you keep using them to get patients better over the course of time. So yeah, there's an upfront cost, but trust me, when I was doing this all through purely just supplementation, it was rough because I, you know, I was, I was every month when my office manager, when Aaliyah, you guys would probably get to talk to her and she wasn't able to come with me to this seminar. But when, when she would come into my office and I'd be like, man, do not walk in here and tell me like, okay, it's time to order supplements for the month. And this is a five figure bill. You know, those are days you just don't talk to me. I was, you know, I know it helped people and I knew it was an important thing to do, but it wasn't fun every month writing that check for that much money for supplements. And again, we were dealing with, with a lot of patients because my goal always was, I went from Cairo where I was high volume, but lower fee, but I, it wasn't even that. I, I just felt like I wasn't making the impact that I got into this to do. Right. I, I got into it. I chose the chiropractic technique that I thought was going to get me the best results and the most miraculous type of results. I got into this to, you know, rival what a Mayo Clinic or something like that was going to be able to do. And I wasn't able to do that in that model. I helped a lot of people and, and you know, very gracious towards me towards that. And I have a lot of gratitude towards that time, but I, I wasn't I wasn't fulfilled. Right. I knew I could do more and, and I felt like I should be doing more. So I changed my model. But then my model became, well, then I was higher fee, but lower volume in order to make it work. And I was like, but I don't like this neither, because now I feel like I'm helping these one person a lot. But it's just this one person. How can I do this to where I can do whatever I want? Can I do higher volume, lower fee? Can I do lower volume, lower fee? Can I do high volume and high fee? Can I help more people? And that was where I worked my butt off to try to figure out the systems. And, and I got to give credit to Aaliyah because she's my office manager and she was a huge part of that to where we have it as a tight system now. Like even when I was in FSM with you guys at uh, the advanced conference, my office was running without me because this patients who were already on the schedule, they knew what they were doing. We had already talked about the strategy that we were trying to implement. They knew what their treatment process was, what they expected of me and what I expected of them to do outside of here. And my staff knew, hey, this is what we're, we're going to run for each person. This is what we're treating. We're going to put each person through because the strategy is already done. It's done ahead of time. And that's kind of where we're working to try to move it forward. So it's always interesting, you know, when you look at from that perspective, it's because even though I wasn't tied to the clinic, I had this thing that was completely based off of ego. And now all of a sudden I went back and it was completely not based off of ego at all. And you know, I, I got to make this great impact. It's freed me up to do a lot of this research so I could bring all this stuff to you guys. It's freed me up to be able to have time to be able to teach these concepts and travel and, you know, go on the weekends to, to teach at seminars and to teach to other doctors these, these ideas, which is, you know, incredibly fulfilling because if I want to help, helping more doctors help more people will trump whatever I do with inside of these four walls. As many people as I can do and, and as much as impacts I can make here, Nothing ever makes as much impact as me telling you and that you going out. Now, I can help 10 people. You guys go out and help 10 people each. Our reach gets exponentially bigger. And 
you know, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll end with this because it seems like I've got through pretty much most of the questions. Um, if you have any others, send them in. But, you know, like I said, I got into all it got into all this to help. And one of the biggest questions I get and a lot of people even asked me when I was there, like, why don't you write research? You know, why don't you write all this stuff up? Why don't you write research? You know, Carol's always asked me to write research. And I, and I always want to be fair, too, because I'm doing so many different things, not just micro, that I, I want to make sure that the research that I would present to her for microcurrent would be exactly just with microcurrent. But patients ask me all the time, like, why don't you write all this sorts of stuff up? And, and the reality, because is, is, is as great as all of that is, it, it has never had a huge effect on moving the needle. Trust me, the research is there. I've read it. It's out there. I spend days and nights reading all of this stuff because I really, really enjoy looking at all the research and, and, and trying to get an understanding. And if I do have one skill in this world, it's looking at a large amount of, of information and finding the pattern. I'm good with patterns, right? I can find out what they are. It's how I figured out what the pattern was for autoimmune and, and thyroid and melatonin, leptin, all those things. It's just putting it all together in a way that makes sense. It's taking all this information and then picking out the pieces you need that you can put together. And I could write all that up, but I figured out really early on that the thing that moves the needle is results. And that's why, like I said before, if you need help, if you want to do these things, our goal, my goal, is to try to help docs be able to help patients because, and it's selfish. I'll tell you it's selfish right now, because if we can do that, and now all of a sudden the results that I get, it's easy to say, well, he's just some lunatic in Las Vegas. You know, he does all these crazy things and, you know, says he can do all this stuff with autoimmune and blah, blah, blah. Fine. But the reality of it is, is if I can do it here and I can show you how to do it there and somebody else to do it in another state and then somebody else here, and we have doctors in Louisiana, we have doctors in, in Texas, we have docs in California, we have docs in Wisconsin, we have doctors all over the place. If they can duplicate the results that we're able to duplicate, all of a sudden that becomes a standard of care and they're not going to be able to step up to us. That's the reality. If we want to change healthcare, we have to step up our games and we got the tools to do it to get better results. Again, if you weren't at the symposium, look, we're getting the better results. We just need to be able to formalize that to be able to make a humongous impact. So that said, uh, again, really quickly, um, RA Optics is who I use for blue blocker glasses. There's other good companies out there, but a uh, quick question came in. RA Optics is who I use for blue blockers, but they're not the only player in the game. There's a lot of different blue blockers out there now. Again, you guys are very welcome. Thank you again for all the love. I hope this was helpful. I hope it um, will open your eyes and give you some aha moments for treatment things. If you want help, I can go to that website and, and book a call. We're happy to do it. Please don't feel bad. You're not taking our time. We volunteered this time for you guys. So if I, trust me, if I didn't want to do it, I wouldn't have done it. I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to put it all out there. Um, you know, I'm very grateful and thankful for Carol and Kim for, for giving me the time to talk. Hopefully next year, I think it's March 7th, will be the day before the advanced. I will be there. We'll do this in six hours. We will get into some granular depth. I promise you the science of some of this stuff is, is super cool, super interesting. We'll talk about fun stuff. We'll talk about tactical stuff, but it will blow your mind. I promise we'll, this, this won't take anything away from that. We'll tear the house down. So I hope to see you there. If you have any other further questions, like I said, book a call, or if you have any other just questions clinically and stuff like that, feel free to tag me on the FSM practitioner page. Uh, just tag my name in there. I'm in there and I'll try to get in there and answer any of the questions, especially if somebody watches this on video, hit me up and I'll do my best to answer any clinical questions for you guys. Again, thank you so much. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate taking the time. I know it's late on the East Coast, uh, but hopefully uh, this was well worth the time. So watch the recordings, hit me up. 
Thank you for all you do for patience. Thank you for stepping up to the plate. I'm always passionate about that because it was my mom was patient zero. And believe me when I tell you, it's somebody else's mom, father, sister, brother, child. It means the world to them. And to have people willing to step up and step up for those types of patients means the world to me. So I can't tell you how much I appreciate what you guys do. Enough love. All the love in the world from me to you guys. I appreciate all the love back. Let me know how we can help you. I hope you guys have an awesome night. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations. No person should act or refrain from acting on the basis of the content provided in any podcast without first seeking appropriate medical advice and counseling. No information provided in any podcast should be used as a substitute for personalized medical advice and counseling. FSS expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on or any contents of this podcast.